Good morning. I am excited this morning to, to be with you. I'm so grateful that you chose to be here this morning. Today is what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. It's the day in the life of Jesus when he chooses to ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey to present himself to the people as the Messiah, as the King. And we know it as Palm Sunday because we associate it with what the scriptures say about the people as they celebrated Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, they broke branches from the trees, palm trees, and they, and they laid them on the ground in the path that he, he was coming into the city, and they, and they waved them in the air in celebration. And so we, we understand, we're going to look at that text this morning. We're going to look at one place in the scriptures where this story is. This is one of the most significant uh, events in the life of Jesus because it's one of the few things that are recorded by all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so, um, as I was studying this this week and, and preparing for this message, there was a word that echoed throughout all of my, all of my reading and in my heart as I was studying. And this is one of those Sundays where we look at something, we have a traditional text that we look at and something we look at every year, but there was, there's a word that just kept coming to my mind as I would study and study, and it was the word misunderstanding. Misunderstanding, I think, is a word that would best describe what's going on in this event in the life of Jesus. So all four of the gospel writers record this story, but we're going to look at Matthew's gospel this morning. So if you'll turn to chapter 21... In Matthew, we're going to read Matthew's account of what happened on that day. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about how it feels for you when someone misunderstands you. Especially when it's someone that you care about deeply. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's um, your kids. Kids misunderstand parents. Parents misunderstand kids. Uh, Husbands misunderstand wives. Usually that's the way it goes, isn't it, guys? It's usually that direction. It's the wives who misunderstand us because we're not always the greatest at communicating what we're really thinking and what we're really feeling. We just let things fly out of our mouth sometimes and uh, we don't always think about how it's going to be received. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. I was wondering if anybody in the house was, it wasn't just me. Uh, but we get ourselves into trouble sometimes. Um, when you want to get across a specific thought or a sentiment to somebody or, or something that you want them to know and, and you try to communicate it, but they receive it completely differently, it's frustrating because you want them to know exactly how you feel. You want them to know exactly what you're trying to say. And sometimes we just don't have the right words. We don't have the right actions to, to make that happen. But that's a deep thing for us. One of our deepest needs as people is not just to be loved, which is one of our deepest needs. I believe another deep need that we have is to be known for who we really are and to be understood. And it's difficult because on any given day, we may, we may give our thoughts or our feelings and, and what we're trying to communicate, but the way it's received has to do with the person's perception of what's going on. And, and the way I receive things from you or, or from K 
Kim or from my boys has to do with my own perception of what's going on around me. And, and sometimes the truth can get lost in that. Um, I can do something really nice for somebody with a genuine heart, but they could perceive it to be something um, spiteful or sarcastic. Have you ever tried to be nice to somebody and they didn't believe that you were really trying to be nice? That's frustrating, isn't it? Like, can you not just let me do something nice for you? And sometimes, uh, this is one that, that I struggle with a lot. Sometimes we can perceive someone's lack of actions or lack of words as hostility. Um, maybe, you know, I see somebody or I'm around somebody and they're just not really talking to me a whole lot. And they're not really saying much. And I'll perceive that as negativity. And so then I, I start thinking in my mind, well, why, why aren't they saying a whole lot? Why aren't they talking to me? What did I do? Are they mad at me? Are they mad at me? What did I do to make them mad? And then it just spirals like that in your brain. And, and then you get consumed and you're convinced that this person is furiously angry with you about something. But the truth is, maybe they just walked by and didn't notice Maybe it was something as simple as they had their mind wrapped around something else and they just didn't pay attention to you. Or have you ever, um, have you ever gotten your feelings hurt because somebody didn't speak to you and you, you, you wanted them to? Or maybe you somebody got hurt with you because you didn't speak to them and it was completely innocent, but you, you, you just had your mind on something else and you weren't aware enough of what was going on around you to, to acknowledge that person. And then, and then people start worrying, oh, is that person mad? Is that person upset? All these perceptions create these misunderstandings between people. And in all these bad perceptions and misunderstandings, we begin to miss out on really knowing each other. And that's where I think it's really important for us in the church to take time to be intentional about the way we relate to one another. But I want you to think about how frustrating it is when you're trying to, to show somebody the truth about who you are, but they just can't see it. They just don't get it. I want us to look in chapter 21, and we're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read from the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible translation. But beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. When they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and the crowd that was probably following him. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. Now this is prior to his actual entrance. Jesus is making preparation, like he's, like he's getting the stage, right? he's getting everything that he needs to get ready to come into the city the way that he's already planned. And last week when we looked at Jesus' final words as he hung on the cross and died, we talked about how it would be easy for us to perceive that 
that Jesus was the victim, but we learned that Jesus actually was not the victim, that Jesus was completely in control of everything that was going on. His authority, his sovereignty, and his control was always intact constantly, and there's never a moment that he lost control of anything. And that same sovereignty and authority and control is, is all over this story as well. Jesus was preparing to set into motion a series of events that he knew were going to happen that would eventually lead him to the cross. And this day, this, this preparation, even sending the disciples to find the donkey, was, was the step toward initiating that walk to the cross. See, this was the time of Passover in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem would have been bulging with people. Um, this is not an unrealistic estimation that there were probably nearly two and a half million people in the city and around the city at this point in time for Passover. So I, I laugh sometimes when we see the little pictures in Sunday school or, or pictures of, of Jesus coming into the city. There's like him and the donkey and a few disciples and like maybe it looks like 30 or 40 people lining up the road waving their palm branches. That was probably not the case. There were gobs and gobs of people who were pressing in to see what was going on. Also, Jesus is coming into Bethany. And if we remember, this is the site where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That was in Bethany. And so there was still a lot of buzz going on about the fact that Jesus had risen Lazarus from the dead. So when they heard that, hey, Jesus is back in town, everybody showed up. People outside the city began to come People outside on the outskirts began to come in to see Jesus. People who were in the city actually started making their way out toward Bethany because they heard that's where Jesus was. So as he, he gets the donkey and he's preparing to go in, there are mobs of people that are already beginning to gather around him even before he comes into the city. So he sends the disciples to get the donkey. Now, it's not so much that Jesus did like a Jedi mind trick on the people that own the donkey. He didn't like say, these are the donkeys that you were looking for. You know, it, it, it's not that he did that. Um, it, it's, it's very safe for us to assume that the owners of the donkey, Jesus knew. He had encountered already. Um, they were likely believers. And when he sent the disciples in, he told them exactly where to go to get it. And he said, look, if you get there to take them and they say, hey, why are you taking these donkeys? You tell them that I need them. And they'll let you have them. And so it was exactly the way Jesus said. They went into the city, found it. The people said, hey, why are you taking our donkeys? And they said, all they had to say was, Jesus needs them. And they let them go. And they, they let them take them. So they, they, bring, they bring the donkey. Jesus is getting, he, he's, got, he's preparing everything. Mark and Luke tell us that this was a donkey that had never been ridden before. And that was important because it was a great distinction to ride a previously unridden animal. Uh, Matthew is actually the only one of the four gospel writers who mentions two animals in this story. The other gospel writers only mention one donkey. But to fulfill the scriptures, Matthew talks about two 
Um, and probably because we're dealing with a young colt donkey who had never been ridden before. And Jesus knew to get that animal to come, it was likely going to take bringing the mom with it so that she could lead it and it, it wouldn't resist coming. So Jesus says, when you see them both, bring them both. And so there were lots of reasons uh, that Jesus chose to enter the city this way. But the primary reason was, again, just like we said last week, everything on the cross, Jesus' primary goal was to fulfill the scriptures, to make sure that all of the prophecies were fulfilled. And, and what Matthew quotes here is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, again, he was intent on fulfilling the scriptures, but also he was now publicly presenting himself as the king, as the Messiah. And really for the first time that he had ever done this. And again, remember, Jesus is in complete control of everything that's going on. It was Jesus in obedience to the Father who would decide when the proper time would come to present himself to the people in this way. If you read through the Gospels, there were many instances where Jesus would perform a miracle or finish teaching and the people would become so excited over what he did that they would literally try to like take him and force him to become king. Like they would say, come with us. Like they wanted to take him into Jerusalem and make him king and put him on a throne right then, Jesus. We want you to be the king right now. And many times Jesus would hide from them almost. Like run, he would sneak away. He would, he would kind of lose them in the crowd. And he would sneak away because he knew the time was not right. This was not the time because Jesus is always in control. He's always in control now. I think that's something that we need to remember in this world that is just crazy nuts. Jesus never loses control, y'all. Never, ever, ever. So now was the time. He knew that this was the time, and he knew that some things were going to happen when, when he did this. And that's why timing the timing of it was planned out perfectly by Jesus. Go ahead and look at verse 7. Picking up at verse 7, it says, They brought the donkey in its foal, then they laid their clothes on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the tree and spreading them on the road. And then the crowds who went ahead of him, and those who followed, shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This was huge grassroots uproar. This was not something that was done by the government. It was not something that was done by the religious community. This was a grassroots movement that people just began to follow Jesus. 
and they begin to shout. And it said there were crowds ahead of him, and there were crowds that followed him. There were so many people. And as he came into the city, they shouted, Hosanna. Jesus knew all of this was going to happen. And Jesus was initiating the events that he knew was going to lead to his passion. Jesus knew that this display of his identity as the king and Messiah would arouse such a response from the people, but at the same time, it was going to swell up the hate of the Jewish religious leaders. That what they saw, they, had all, they were already angry with him because he had made claims to be the Messiah. He had performed miracles that they couldn't explain. He had broken their version of the Sabbath laws. And now he's going to come riding into the city on this donkey surrounded by multitudes of people who are shouting his praises and calling him the king. It's going to make them furious. And he knew that. And he knew that their rage and their hate was going to swell to the point where they would not let him live much longer. Jesus was riding into the city as the king, but also to say, I'm the one that God has chosen. I am the Passover lamb for all of you. And then the events were going to unfold, and it's not a coincidence that Jesus dies on the day of Passover, the same day that the Passover lamb was to be slain and killed. But again... Always in control. Orchestrating everything exactly to the timing of the Father. And so we, when we're reading this and we, and we know that Jesus is coming into the city and he's presenting himself, he's, he's kind of laying all the cards on the table for the people and saying, hey, I'm, I'm your king. I'm the king that's come to save you. I am Messiah. And we see the response from the people. Well, why were they responding this way? Remember, the Messiah was the one they had been waiting on for thousands of years. And they knew that when the Messiah came, he was going to come in strength and power, and he would embody all the hopes of all the people for freedom from the tyranny of Rome. They knew that Messiah would be even greater than Saul, greater than David, greater than Solomon. And they knew that the Messiah was going to be the political the military and the economic force that would give them everything in a king that they had ever wanted. You remember how it felt to be misunderstood by people that you care about? That's what's happening. Jesus comes to them as, as their true Messiah, but they don't get it. They have a completely different Messiah that they're expecting. They shouted Hosanna, and the word Hosanna translated literally means save now. They were saying, come save us now. Come rescue us now. Now is the time. But they didn't understand that Jesus' rescue was greater than what they were asking for. He indeed was presenting himself to the people as the true Messiah that they had waited on and longed for 
yet he was not the Messiah that they shouted Hosanna to. He was not that Messiah. Their Messiah would have ridden in on a strong horse symbolizing his power and his might. And Jesus rode in on a donkey, which was an animal that represented times of peace. As if to say, I'm coming as the peacemaker between you and the Father. A broken relationship. I've come to restore it. Their Messiah, they wanted, was going to lead a military revolt against Rome and crush the oppression of the Romans. Jesus, on the other hand, allowed himself to be arrested by the Romans, to be scourged by the Romans, and to be crucified by the Romans, and never once did he fight back. The Messiah, they were shouting to, was going to lead them out of bondage from Rome in the same way that Moses led the people out of Egypt. They celebrated Passover because of what God did in Egypt and how he led the people out. And so they just knew that Jesus was going to be that Messiah. He was going to be the one to, to save them from Rome and bring them out. They thought they needed saving from the Romans. What Jesus knew was that they needed to be saved from themselves. And that's what he came to do. So this day that they're shouting and cheering, just five days later, they would be shouting for Pilate to crucify him. The gratitude and the fanfare and the celebration in their voices would turn to rage and disgust. They would go from receiving him with open arms and palm branches to throwing things at him. Hurling insults as they watch him die. To the people there, Jesus was, would become on that day on that fifth day, after they, they thought he was going to be their Messiah. And then when he turned out not to be, he turned out to be their failed Messiah. He was their greatest disappointment. And he was just going to be another person that they trusted that let him down. Now understand, that's not who he really was, but that's who they perceived him to be. The tragedy of Palm Sunday is that all the joyful celebration and the anticipation of Jesus' coming was based on a complete and total misunderstanding of who he was. So this is what I want you to think about this morning. This is my challenge. This is God's challenge to us. When you come into this place to worship the king, because the king is here, amen? amen? When you come into this place to worship the king, are you worshiping him as the king over his kingdom? Or as the king over yours? 
You see, we have to evaluate this morning if we are in this crowd. If we are the people who have created a Savior that fits into our box, that fits into our needs, that meets all of the needs we want Him to meet. Is that who we sing to? Is that who we praise and worship when we come? Or do we really worship King Jesus, who is king over his kingdom and not ours? Dr. Richard Ross um, from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, he likes to talk about this by calling it the Jesus in my pocket. And this is kind of what the people were doing. And this is what we can fall victim to doing if we're not careful. We, we, we shrink Jesus down into a, a form that's just big enough for us to put in our pocket. We keep him in our pocket. He's easily accessible whenever we have a need that we want him to meet. We pull little Jesus out when times are hard or when we're in trouble and he... We pray and ask him to take our problems away and Jesus poofs our problems away. And then we can conveniently put him back in our pocket so that he'll be there next time that we need him. He doesn't hinder us from making our own choices when, when things are good and we decide that we want to do what we want to do. It's okay. He's still there, but we tuck him way deep, deep, deep down in our pocket so that he doesn't interfere with what we want to do. But then as soon as life gets bad again, we can dig him back out and we can ask him to fix our problems and poof all the bad away. And he, and he does that. When we feel bad or we need help being a better person, we just pray and ask him to help us so that we can feel better about ourselves, of course. And so we don't look bad to other people. And we don't, want to, we don't want to feel guilty because we do bad things. And so we pray and ask Jesus to forgive us so we don't have to feel bad about what we've done. That has a name. They call that moral therapeutic deism. When we create a Savior and a Messiah whose main purpose is to meet our needs and make us happy. That's what the people did here. They were celebrating the Messiah that they wanted Jesus to be and not the Messiah that he really was. We have to come to understand if we really want to know Christ that Jesus did not come just to make us happy. Jesus didn't just come to make our lives better. He actually came to show us that the only way that we really truly live is if we lose our life. He came to rescue us from our own sinful pursuit of all that we desire and give it all away for the things that he desires for us. So as you enter into this holy week and you begin to dwell on the cross and begin to anticipate the resurrection, the question 
for this morning is which Messiah do you shout Hosanna to this morning? Is it the Messiah that you've created to meet all your needs and make your life better? Or is it Jesus, the true King of Kings and the true Lord of Lords?